Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Well, welcome again. If you are new or visiting, um, we are journeying through the Gospel of Luke through the whole year Um, and we are almost at the end, so get excited for those who've been hanging around. Um, But if you're interested in tracking back with what we've been doing, uh, you can check that out on our website or our podcast. Um, But just for context for all of us, um, Jesus is in the final moments before he's about to get arrested and crucified, etc. He's heading towards the cross now. And as I say each week, I feel he just doesn't pull any punches anymore. He's just blunt uh, because he knows that the end of his time on earth is coming. Um, but thankfully today, he, he's a little less blunt, which is helpful. Um, and I've, if this had a title, it would be something along the lines of humble... Um, oh, hold on, I've lost it. Don't worry, excuse the title. It's there somewhere, the humility is coming out. That's good. That's uh, all good. Um, scratch that. Uh, humble and hopeful, there we go. That, that is the title I'm looking for. Uh, so let's pray, because I definitely need it. Let's do it. Father, it's hard to sit at the feet of Jesus when we're used to climbing mountains. And Lord, we're so busy. We're just used to breathing the air at the top of the pinnacle, Lord. We're used to running just hard all week. And yet, Lord, in this moment, as we come into your word, we, we just want to reflect some of the people that have, we've seen in Luke's gospel, the demon-possessed man who was healed, and then he comes and sits at your feet. Jairus, who, whose daughter is sick, who falls at your feet. Lord, so many others. Mary, who sits at your feet listening to you. And Father, we're not here listening to me, we're here listening to you. And so, Father, I just ask that you'd speak. Lord, that you give us real clarity around what you're trying to say to us individually and us as a church and, dare I say, us as a society maybe as well, Lord. I pray that there would be an encouragement here around this idea of humility and hope today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to read the passage first because that's always a good idea. So this is Luke 18, uh, verse 9 to 34, and it says this, and it'll be up there as well. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and, you know, even that guy over there, that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He couldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Continues verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. And don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. 
Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Again, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shouldn't murder. Don't steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus said, so heard this, he said to the man, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he'd heard this, he was very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, who who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we have to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. And these are the last few passages, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside after this and told them, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So there's a few different scenes here, and I just want to take them one by one, just to help us understand. And as I said last time, it's really helpful to understand when there's an event that has happened in real life, and there's a story that Jesus is telling to make a point, right? So the first one, uh, Jesus is talking to real people, um, but he's using a story to kind of encourage them in a certain direction. And so the people that he's talking to are people who are confident of their own righteousness. And righteousness is a big theological term that you can learn all about in Bible college. But the simple elevator point is, uh, you and God, is there a right relationship? Or is there something in between? Is there something blocking the pipes? Or is there, just, is there a right relationship? Things are going great, you know. You think about a marriage, you think about a parent-child relationship... Uh, is, is there a right relationship there? Is there some tension and stuff like that? And so these particular people he's talking to are people who are confident that them and God are sweet. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's really good. If we're believers, I think that's a great thing to have confidence. Uh, but these people have taken it a step further. Because of their confidence, they started looking down at everybody else. They're on their little high horse, if you like. And so Jesus is speaking to these specific people with a story with a parable and a parable the whole point the parable is a story that's intended to lead to a decision okay so he's trying to invite them to choose something different and here's the story two men went up to the temple to pray starts pretty simply that's what you do at a temple right you go and pray what you actually do at a temple is go and ensure that your relationship with God is right In the first century, you go there to make animal sacrifice. You sure, you pray, but you go there to sacrifice for your sin so that you and God are okay. 
And so here are these two men going to the temple. Yes, they're going to pray, but they are going there for the specific purpose of making sure they're right with God. And we see the first person is a Pharisee. And a Pharisee are the professional goody-two-shoes of this uh, race. They're the moral police, if you like. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, They took the Old Testament law so seriously they made up their own laws to ensure that they don't break the other ones. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. They're really zealous for God. They're passionate about doing the right thing, being holy, living a life that is honourable of God. And yet, uh, the flip side of the Pharisees is they were so legalistic that they missed the spirit of everything. And so that's the Pharisees. And then you have the tax collectors. And they were considered the scum of Jewish society. And there's a few reasons for that. Nobody likes the tax man. We've all probably filed our tax by now, and if you haven't, they'll be after you. But this wasn't like the tax today. So they were under a Roman rule at this time, the Jewish nation. So they had overlords essentially over them, taxing them. Uh, But the reason why tax collectors were so hated was because they were fellow Jews who took tax on behalf of the Romans, but then they decided to add a little 5-10% buffer there. So they're essentially ripping off their own people to pocket the money for themselves. And so nobody likes a tax man and nobody likes someone who just steals from you to line your own pockets, right? So we've got these two people, these law-abiding people and these people who just want to fill their pockets with lots of cash. And here's the story. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, such an arrogant prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. And you can imagine, I've got a seat here, because it'll be relevant in a second. But I, when I picture that, I just stand up here. And it's, it's like you're looking at everybody else, and you're separating yourself. Look at me, and there's all the other people. You know, there's like such an arrogance to that statement. And it continues. Robbers. Starts listing them out. You know, you know who I'm talking about, God, but let's just list them for the sake of it. Robbers. And evil, you know, evildoers is a pretty broad term, you know, all of those people over there, evildoers, adulterers, and, and that guy, you know, the tax collector, who's, what's he even doing here? Like, surely he shouldn't be in the temple. Why, why am I better than everybody else? Well, you know, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. There's such an arrogance to this particular person, Right? And then the tax collector starts talking. But the tax collector is not standing on a high horse at all. And he's not looking around at all of the scum of the earth, according to the Pharisee. Now, he's not looking at anybody. He's not even looking at God, right? He's not looking up to heaven. It says, you know, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He recognizes that he is a mess. And that if there's an arrow that's supposed to be shooting at a target, he's completely missed the thing. He's firing backwards. And he recognises that. But I'm a mess. I've done things that go far away from what you desire for my life. So it's a really contrasting picture between this guy standing on a high horse and this guy who can't even look anywhere but himself. And it's interesting, Jesus' conclusion, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the people who are confident that they're good with God. 
And yet he says this, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. And again, it's a big theological word, which again, just means a right relationship with God. That the one who left the temple, who went there for the goal of having a right relationship with God, they left there with that relationship. That God and the tax collector were, were connected. And it's interesting, the comparison, that that guy went home justified, but the other guy didn't. This guy, this goody-two-shoes, the moral police, the guy who thought he was better than everybody else, he did all the things that needed to be done. Jesus says, you know what, you are not right with me right now. We've got some issues to sort out. And yet here is this tax collector who is a mess in his own admission. Who Jesus says, that's my guy. He's right with me. And he says this, and we've seen this throughout Luke, this same phrase again and again and again. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled... And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is a key characteristic of followers of Jesus. As you think about people, uh, I mentioned it before, falling at Jesus' feet, it's a consistent theme. People constantly at the feet of Jesus. It's It's an act of reverence. The next story. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, which seems a bit weird, but in in that day and age you'd bring babies and if there was a rabbi there they would kind of pray a blessing over the child which kind of makes sense Uh, whenever uh, and it continues uh, when the disciples saw this they rebuked them they said oi parents you're being an idiot what are you doing bringing your kid to Jesus like why are you wasting his time you know he's got better things to do than bless your little baby over there you know bless little Jimmy but Jesus called the children to him and said let the little children come to me and don't hinder them For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The picture I have of this story is the lines to get photos at the shopping malls at Christmas, right? So just picture that. The ones you have to book in like four months in advance and cost you a fortune. And the parents wait there for an hour even though they had an appointment. Anyone who's a parent understands what I'm talking about. Um, So you're just waiting there in line with your kids And the image that I have is they see Santa off over there with his little elves and with little kids sitting on. And the kids just pull like kind of the bollard out the way and jump over the fence to get to Santa, right? And they're just having a great time with the elves and the little fake reindeers and whatever else is going on over there. And then the little elves come around and go, Oi, Timmy, get back over there. And then they walk over to the parents and go, Did you see what your son or daughter did? They can't go to Santa. Santa doesn't want to see them today. That's the image I have of this story. Because it's ridiculous. Like, of course the kids want to get to Santa and Santa wants to see the kids. Of course, that's the whole reason Santa is in the mall, to get the money from the kids taking photos, you know. Um, and so that's the image I have here. And it just seems ridiculous when I think about this story. Like, Jesus is here for everybody, and yet the disciples are just so on the wrong page, they're just on a different planet. And, and, and he continues, Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't put anything in the way of kids coming to know Jesus. Nothing. Zero, zip, nothing. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I wasn't planning on saying this, but in a number of the Christian um, denominations, uh, they have beliefs around needing to have infants being baptised and things like that. And this is one of the passages that speaks against that kind of idea. Uh, In a Baptist tradition, we we believe that children, or anyone 
until they're able to make a conscious choice themselves and understand their sinfulness and things will get into heaven, right? And so here is a great example of that. He's saying, let the children come in. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's, it's open. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does that mean? It means there's kids have an ex- Just think about kids and Santa for a second. They will jump over whatever fence they need to sit on Santa's lap to talk about the Nintendo or the Lego or the Barbie princess dream house thing that they want from Santa for Christmas, right? There's an excitement about it. There's an acceptance of, well, Santa is, he's right in front of me. Santa is real. And there's no questioning that. An example from our own lives. Um, we, we like to talk to our kids about Jesus and faith a lot, obviously. Um, and we, we pray certain prayers at night and we have lots of different conversations. And one day I was very surprised when I picked Ava up from school. Uh, I asked her about her day. And she says, oh, Dad, when I was taking the lunch orders to the office, which is where they get all made up or whatever. I took Madalongapau, and that's an Indian boy's name, um, with me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, Madalongapau, sure. Um, and she's like, I told him about Jesus. I said, you, what? Really? You told him about Jesus taking the lunch orders to the office? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, what did you say? And she's like, oh, I don't remember what I said, but he kind of asked a lot of questions, like who is Jesus and what's this all about? And I kind of told him about what he did for us. And I was thinking, geez, this makes me look terrible that, that I don't do that with, any, with most other people in like normal society. And here's my six-year-old doing that with Matt Alongapau. Um, but it's just so interesting because she gets it. Like she gets just, if Jesus is real, then why wouldn't I want to tell everybody about it? Like that, that's just what she gets. I'm not saying that to puff up Ava or anything. She's got plenty of time to rebel and all those other things like the rest of us have done. But it's just interesting to me that, that they just get it. They just get it, these kids. And so he's saying, when you get it, you get it. Just lean in. If, it, if it's real to you, it's real to you. Next one, verse 18. This may be the most controversial one for us today. A certain ruler <clears throat> asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a great question. Great question. Which Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, all of these things. All these I've kept since I was a little boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Notice the statement, it's sell things, then follow. You've got this, something's got a hold on you, get rid of that thing and then come follow me. And when, he heard, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. That's just a nice little phrase. Sad, he was very sad, and then because he was very wealthy. And Jesus says to him, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean someone who has material wealth. The whole of Luke, we've talked about it every time we've touched on it. Luke talks a lot about wealth. And he talks about the difference between those who are rich and those who are rich towards God. And he makes a clear distinction. It's the rich towards God are those who uh, understand that God has given the money, that they're stewards of it. And as, as a result of being stewards, that it's not theirs. They're not the master of the money. They're there to steward it and, and ensure there's flourishing for everybody, right? Those who are just rich, Luke talks a lot about. 
And it's usually about indulgence. Like he, he shares a story, um, the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and he longed to eat from what fell from the rich man's table and yet he never did. It's, it's, it's quite a confronting story when you read it. Here's this guy living in luxury and yet this other guy begging basically at his gate and gets nothing. And it's a picture of, of what he's talking about in terms of the rich. So he's saying those who have material wealth and just keep accumulating it and let their lives be just the focus of money is their lives, then these are the people who will find it almost impossible to enter the kingdom of God. And so the people answer, well, who, who, who can be saved? You know, like we all have money. <laughs> We're all a bit in trouble if that's the case. And Jesus replies, you know, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And what he means by that is that God can do impossible things. Like if you have, if money has a hold on you, that doesn't mean it's always going to have a hold on you. Things can change. Things can shift. Things can move around, you know. And Peter said, you know, we've left everything we've had to follow you. How do we apply to this teaching? You've told this guy to go sell everything and then follow you. Well, we have done that. We've literally left everything and we're following you. So what do we get out of this whole deal? Which is a great question. And this is probably the more encouraging part of it. We've read a lot of the harsh stuff of Jesus. Like if you don't love me more than like your mother and brother and sister and husband and wife and all these things, then you're not worthy of the kingdom of God, which is harsh. But it's, it's, it's kind of the flip side of that is this. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. His point is that as he calls us to let go of things, that there are going to be things that come into our lives that we gain. You know, we, we won't fail to receive many times as much as we've lost. And it's not talking about we're going to get $10 million in the bank account or a Maserati or whatever else. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about as we lay things aside that are keeping us from our relationship with Jesus, that he's going to honour the sacrifice that we've made and bring other things into our lives that are beneficial. And then he concludes, after all of these different talks about Pharisees and tax collectors and kids and rich people, Jesus takes the 12 aside and tells them what's going to happen. And this is the third time he's done this, okay? So this is all before he dies. If someone tells you something three times and then it comes true, I would tend to believe them, okay? So this is the third time he's done this. And he says, you know, we're going up to Jerusalem, guys. We're going there. We're not going anywhere else. We're headed towards Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man, that's, again, that's Jesus' own title for himself. That's, who, that's Jesus' nickname for himself. Everything that's written by the prophets about me will be fulfilled. I'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people. They will mock me, insult me, spit on me, flog me and kill me. Again, these guys have followed Jesus for three years. That's not great news. But he's telling them in advance, so they go, oh yeah, Jesus did tell us about that. Probably should have listened. And on the third day he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of it. 
Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. And the reason they probably didn't know is because they'd try and stop him doing it. Right? If you know that your best friend is about to go do a whole bunch of stupid things, as a best friend, you're going to try and stop them doing all of those things. Right? And Peter will do that. And Jesus will say to him, get behind me, Satan. You have the, you have the mind of men, not the mind of God. Right? And so he's telling them these things, but they just don't understand. <clears throat> but at the end of Luke, they do. They remember. And the women go to the tomb after, they've, after Jesus has risen again. And the angels tell them, remember how he told you while he was still with you, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And then there's like this, ah, oh, aha moment. Oh, yeah. Then it says they remembered his words. As if to go, ah, oh, yeah, he did say that actually. He said that a few times. You're right, we probably should have remembered that. And so it verified what he'd said before. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. And then it just became just different people interacting with who the risen Jesus is. So how does this apply to our lives? Well, many of us, including myself, fall into the standing up on a pedestal category a lot. On Monday, as I read this, there are a number of things that I had to like the tax collector, acknowledged that I was a mess about, including standing up on a pedestal sometimes and looking at other people and judging the way they do things. And so Monday I was up there, by Wednesday I was down there. And for many of us, there is an arrogance in our lives. There's a judgmental attitude in our lives. There's a plank, metaphorically, in our eye or we're pointing out the little speck over there, you know? And we need to repent of that. Because the warning is pretty clear. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Do you want to be humbled or do you want to humble yourself? (laughs) Is the question. Secondly, with the kids thing, how are we opening our lives up to have kids know the message of Jesus? Are we causing all these barriers in what we're doing? It's a question for us as a church, but it's a question individually as well. Like, I'm a dad. Many of us are parents. Many of us have grandkids or uncles or we're uncles and aunties or whatever. How are we encouraging them to know Jesus? Are we just giving them good advice or are we helping them learn more about who Jesus is? As they grieve loss, are we helping them understand that loss is a reality and that there's someone who can comfort them in this? All these different things. How are we helping them come to him? The rich thing is, is wealth. Do we wake up and check our bank balance or our stock portfolio or check the interest rates because they've gone up again, which they probably have while I've been talking? Are we so fixated on money as our security blanket that we forget the one who's given us the money in the first place? and given us the gifts and ability to do the work that we do to earn the money. I've heard so many people say to me, yeah, but I've got the job and I'm the one working. I'm like, yeah, where did you get the gifts to hammer in that nail that earned you that money today? You didn't teach yourself that. Oh, but my boss did when I was an apprentice. Well, really? <laughs> like, when you design things, how did you get the creativity in your head to begin with to be able to design all of the things that you design? Was that from you or was that from somebody else? 
pretty sure somebody else. As you're making money doing certain things, God has given you the gifts to do those things. We just need perspective. And for some of us, that's what we need today, perspective. And for some of us, we need to hand it over. I'm not talking physically money, but we just need, whatever that thing is, we just need to go, it's yours now, surrendering it, whatever it is. And then follow him. And for others of us, what we need to get our heads around is the fact that Jesus predicted at least three times while he was living that all this bad stuff was about to happen. Right? You talk about verifiability of fact. People in these days, we just talk about, oh, what I believe must be true. What's great for you? Sure. But there's only one truth. And usually what's true is the thing that got predicted beforehand and then happened, right? It's pretty logical. He's doing it three times and it happened. And so maybe for some of us, the invitation is to just reflect on that. What if it is true? What if it is true? What if Jesus did get delivered over to the Gentiles? That's Pontius Pilate and all those little clowns. He spat on him and mocked him and insulted him and flogged him and killed him. What if that happened? That's pretty bad. But what if the next thing that happened is three days later he rose again? No one's ever done that before. What does it say about the person who did? Even more than the fact that he predicted it ahead of time and it happened. Nobody rises from the dead apart from Jesus. Uh, the kids and I have a prayer every night um, that we read from a book. It's called uh, Habits of the Household. We're using it as our young parents' uh, reading thing that we're going through every uh, fortnight. And there's a prayer in there uh, that talks about just helping the kids understand that we love them and that Jesus loves them, essentially. And the prayer is like this. Um, Do you see my eyes? Yes, I see your eyes. Do you see me looking at you? Yes. Do you know that I love you? Just me saying it to the kids. And they usually say, Yes. Who else loves you like I do? And so they'll list off the dog, you know, mum, Ava, Finn, whoever it is. And I'm like, who loves you more than me? I said, there's only one person. And that's Jesus. And they say Jesus now, because I understand. And I'm like, well, how did he show you that he loved you? And Ava is at the point now where she gets it, because I told you about the matter longer power story. She's like, Jesus died and rose again. I'm like, what does that mean to you? And she's like, well, nobody does that. <laughs> nobody just rises again, you know. And Finn just says, well, no, Jesus died and rose again, and he'll get to that point. Uh, but at the end of the prayer, there's this idea of resting in his love. And when you get his love, that you just rest in it. It's not about running. It's not about climbing mountains. It's just about sitting in his feet, listening to him, relating to him. And that's the invitation here, that there is new life available. And it's not new life where we're just climbing the next mountain right? It's new life to sit and relate to the God who had a horrible death for us and yet rose again on the third day that we might have life and that we might have hope and that we might have a reason to talk to the matter longer powers of the world about something other than the lunch orders in the box. So let's pray. Father, many of us do have high horses that we sit on, whether we're willing to acknowledge it or not. We are judgmental and arrogant 
and controlling. And that's not your desire for us. Plain and simple, you make it so abundantly clear that the humble are exalted and the exalted are humbled. God, I just pray that if that's us today, that you'd just break our hearts. Just remind us of who you are. By the breath, you put the stars into being. By your breath. By your breath, we became a living being. If we stop breathing, we're dead. Remind us of our place, Lord. Just humble us, I pray, that we may be exalted when you return. God, help us as individuals, but as a community, create safe spaces where kids can just engage with the truth of you, that you love them deeply, that they are a mess, but that you came to save them. God, we pray that if riches are an issue for us, Lord, if we are just so fixated on the love of money, Lord, that we'd see that for the weed that it is, killing our spiritual growth. And that, Lord, that your spirit would just dig that out of us, that we might grow in faith. And, Lord, we just pray that maybe there's someone in the room today who just needs to ask the question, what if it's true? What if this did actually happen? What if Jesus did die? And what if he rose again? I mean, that's insane. But what if that happened? What difference might that make in my life if that's true? Father, thanks for the invitations in all of these passages. The invitations to come off our high horse and come to you. The invitation as your kids that you are always welcoming us. The invitation, Lord, that when we've got our priorities out of whack, that you just want to pull that thing out that's killing us, that we might know true life. An invitation, Lord, to you and a relationship with you because you rose again. So, Father, wherever this lands today, I just pray for each person here. Let your spirit just really pinpoint what you're inviting them to today. Help them know that you love them. And you showed it by rescuing them. And it wasn't that good enough that you did it. It's because we were a mess. And you loved us anyway. So Father, we're grateful for all that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.